With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. The information discussed during this show is not intended to diagnose, treat, prevent, or cure any condition. If your pet is currently experiencing any medical issues, please seek immediate assistance from a licensed veterinarian. Good morning, this is Dr. O'Sullivan speaking, and you have gotten a hold of Holistic Veterinary Care and Acupuncture Center in Prescott Valley, Arizona. Um, This morning, we are fortunate enough to have Ellen Brandt, and we are going to speak about her sweetheart, Tashi. Um, Tashi is a Tibetan Spaniel that has a, a wonderful, wonderful story to tell about overcoming adversity, and learning to wag her tail. So we're all going to try to learn something from Tashi today and talk to Ellen about her uh, long, sometimes arduous journey with Tashi. I want to invite all of our listeners to join in by calling 347-215-6138 at any point in time, and we can answer any of your questions and maybe some of your stories as well. Once again, call into Blog Talk Radio for Dr. O'Sullivan at 347-215-6138. The story of Tashi begins at a puppy mill, unfortunately, and it's very important to me to make sure that people know that puppy mills and puppy farms exist, um, and I'm always surprised that people don't... um, I'm always surprised to hear that people sometimes don't know. They don't know where puppies come from when they're in a pet store or um, other situations. So today's the day I just wanted to try to spread the word and try to be as um, somewhat emotionally detached as possible when it comes to this issue. So um, I would like to give some definitions of what puppy mills and puppy farms are. And the first definition comes from the HSUS, the Humane Society of the United States, Um, and the definition is a puppy mill or puppy farm is a commercial dog breeding facility that emphasizes profits over animal welfare and usually contains substandard conditions. That is from, like I said, the Humane Society of the United States, which is a large nonprofit um, organization in this country trying to help animals. The other definition is the legal definition used in a court case in 1984. It was at Aversen and Zygart. The legal definition at this point in time is, for puppy mills, it's a dog breeding operation in which the health of the dog is disregarded in order to maintain low overhead and maximize profits. So um, these industries, which is exactly what they are, um, supply pet stores, supply um, 
other facilities that use animals in mass. And there are puppy mills, there are kitty mills, and those types of things. So if you go online or you go to your veterinarian or um, other facilities where you can get broad stroke information, if you just Google puppy mill, you will get thousands, if not tens of thousands of pages that give information about that. So with that piece of information and that piece of uh, power, we're going to move forward and talk to Ellen a little bit about <laughs> Sweet Tashi and her experience in getting Tashi into her life, as well as um, where we're at now. And once again, Tashi is a, a wonderful, wonderful example of how um, we can, with her example, overcome uh, substandard conditions and adversity of all types. And over the course of time with a lot of wonderful care and just pure love, uh, learn to wag our tails. So um, I'd like to proudly introduce Ellen Brandt and have her tell her story about how little Tashi came into our lives. Thank you, Ellen, for being on the show today. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you, Dr. Sullivan. Um, Tashi is actually my fourth Tibetan Spaniel, and we have technically two and a half and a half but uh, we had learned, my husband and I had learned to love Tibetan Spaniels after a rescue several years ago when we were living in Florida. And so when we had a dogless house and decided to rescue yet another, that's the breed we chose to uh, to adopt once again rather than just rescues in general, which we have had many times in the past. I belong to an online group that specializes in conversations specifically about Tibetan Spaniels because many people don't have any idea what they are, where they came from, what their background is. And they had a notice from a rescue group back east someplace that a specific puppy mill back there wanted to sell all of their Tibetan Spaniel breeding stock because they weren't profitable enough. They had to get rid of all of them one way or another, and the rescue group arranged to, for a price to get all of them, which was something just under 30 at that time. They contacted my online group asking first for donations and secondly for foster or adoptive homes and Jack and I did donate money first and then decided that we wanted to bring at least one of these wonderful dogs into our home. So uh, after they brought out the first family group, they brought them out in groups of six, five females, one male, uh, breeding stock. And after the first one was group was out and thoroughly vetted and neutered and all of the necessary things. I studied the various pictures and descriptions of their size and age and so on and chose one and flew back east and brought her home. And several weeks later, I got an email from the rescue group saying, don't you have just enough room in your house for one more because we've run out of foster homes and we can't bring 
the next group out until more of these dogs find homes and free up our fosters. So, yeah, we're softies. And I flew back and brought Tashi home with us. Tashi is the oldest of the three dogs at home and the oldest of the two rescue uh, rescues from this puppy mill. She had I don't know how many puppies while she was there, but when she came out of the puppy mill, she had four six-week-old pups with her at that time. Apparently, the puppy mill owner had tried to keep those little ones so that she could sell them to a pet store, but the rescue group was adamant. Their contract was for all of her Tibetan Spaniels, not just some, and so they brought the pups out as well. So everybody was to get a good, loving home and be out of that. I need to say one thing about this particular puppy mill, too. I don't know where they were exactly or how many, who the owners were, but I was told that in that variety of business, this was a good one. And good being that there were less than, fewer than 200 dogs there, as opposed to the seven, eight, or 900 dogs that many of them have just sitting in cages, day in, day out, making babies, which is basically what Tashi did for five years. It's a, it's a story of just no human contact, no toys, no play, just being used as a mill, literally. It's is a, is a, a creature that produces profits through reproduction. And it's much like, unfortunately, cattle medicine and those, I mean, you know, just... just um, Livestock almost is a good way to think about it, unfortunately. Um, so, Alan, um, when Tashi got to you, she was in a certain medical state or a certain uh, emotional state or lack of emotion state or um, how how was she when you got her to your home as compared to maybe other some, some of the other dogs or puppies or um, four-legged friends that you had and then maybe a short story about um, the medical issues that you had with her up front um, and how that may have been linked to her um, previous life. Well, she was very withdrawn. She was totally submissive. Um, obviously fearful of any kind of punishment. She would not eat food from a bowl. I don't know what she was fed in the puppy mill, but at the foster home where I picked her up, they had bowls of dry food out for free feeding at all times, and I noticed that she wouldn't even go to the bowls. I, I took some out, put it on the ground. She would eat it from the ground. She won't take anything from a human's hand. She still does not take even treats from a hand, and she's been with us for two years now. She, of course, had been vetted, and she had her teeth cleaned. She had very few teeth left, actually. Um, She had chronic ear infections, and that was the most noticeable thing, and what we first came to Dr. O'Sullivan about was the ear infections just were constantly recurring. The traditional vet treated them. They'd clear up. They'd come back. Um, Personality-wise, as I said, totally submissive. She followed the other dogs. She never led, 
we'd take the dogs on walks and while two were out front not well trained pulling on their leashes she would waddle behind because she had no muscle tone at all to speak of she had never been on walks she had never run around she didn't know how to play um she is afraid of the squeak of a squeaky toy she runs away if one of the other dogs squeaks a toy um over time we i noticed on walks that she stopped to urinate over and over and over and i asked our vet to check and see if there was some kind of problem it might have just been marking but it might have been a problem as well and they um ran tests and discovered that Tashi had blood in her urine as well as crystals. And so over a period of close to nine months, we had her on several different antibiotics and other medications and nothing would clear up the blood in her urine. And um, finally, one day the traditional vet had phoned me and said, we just don't know what to do. I've asked everybody I know. I've gone online. I've called experts. We know she needs more fluid. She needs more water. You changed her food, which was at their advice. We have tried numerous antibiotics. She said, we just don't know what to do. And luckily for me, luckily for Tashi, and for all of us, I was in a class at the local university that Dr. O'Sullivan offers on introduction to holistic veterinary care. And after class one night, I just asked her if she would see Tashi. And that was the beginning of getting a good dog, a healthy dog. <laughs> She's like so gracious. That's just silly. Um, I uh, the. Classes that I teach at one of the local universities, well, it's a, it's a college here in downtown, and we uh, do, well, I guess it, we as me, do introduction to holistic veterinary medicine, um, holistic approach to the senior pet, a holistic approach to, at this point, we're starting a class on cats because cats are not small dogs, and in veterinary medicine we have a tendency to treat them that way, and we end up with problems just like we ended up with Tashi. So those classes are um, informative to an open public that just is curious and just don't know. And that's why doing things like we're doing right now are just so important because people just don't know that these things are uh, available because, correct me if I'm wrong, that if, if you're told there's nothing else we can do or we've tried everything, or um, she may not get better, especially when you're watching your animal bleed, uh, be uncomfortable, uh, be painful, not put on weight, or whatever those things that just make your heart crush. Um, it's, it's very difficult and, and heartbreaking and um, not very empowering and doesn't do a darn thing to help your loved one. So knowing that there are other options out there that are based in Western medicine, traditional Chinese medicine, and used together to try and get to a best result and the open-mindedness of the owner, the client, the, the caretaker, the advocate is super, super important. So 
It's not as though we're asking some people to do things that are completely never heard of. We want to make sure that through shows like this, through classes, through clients talking to people, um, through feeling empowered through information, whether it's Western or traditional Chinese or anything, that um, we are more open-minded to seek assistance through different modalities. So um, hopefully with our listener base can kind of spread that word. And it doesn't mean that we're negative or naysayers or finger pointers about anybody or any techniques. It's just that just like you and I, certain things work for certain people and certain creatures. So luckily, um, Ellen and Tashi got to somebody that thinks a little bit differently. And uh, it's not like it was an easy road, but... um, it, it 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 worked fair enough. Is that fair enough to say on? Yeah. So um a couple of things that Ellen said that are so important when we think about our relationship with our animals and sometimes traditional vets or you just trying to help them out at home are things like our ear infections were being treated and then they just kept coming back. So um I call that a band aid over a bullet hole and cutting off the branches rather than getting to the roots. So, you know, cutting off the branches of our weeds or our trees, those types of things make things look pretty, and it do they do help with pain or discomfort for short periods of time, but getting to the roots of the problem and literally digging them out um, is quite an investigative process, and I really think that that's where traditional Chinese medicine shines because it's a completely different way of looking at what's going on inside the creature and Tashi, her blood and her urine and her crystals were directly related to her ear infections in traditional Chinese medicine. So we were able to take Tashi as a full creature and address all of her issues by um, maybe to the maybe to the chagrin of Ellen and her husband changing everything about their lives um, and quite quickly it, for for folks, as I recall, walked into the office, had all of the paperwork, and I kept flipping pages and flipping pages and flipping pages. I'm like, yeah, um, I'm actually going to ask you to change every single thing you're doing with your dog. (laughs) I I do remember your husband just sat down. It's like, what and who are you and what, what are, what are you doing? So, um, I'm going to, I'm going to hand this back to Ellen, um, so she can give you her perspective and her memory of those days. And I, I do remember calling her Tasha instead of Tashi, which I was immediately corrected at. <laughs> I'm like, I like back across the knuckles there. Um, but she had, and still has, just because she's doing better doesn't mean that she doesn't have the foundations, you know, the root of supply of the issues that got her where she was when I met her. So we always are mindful of that. But I'd like to hear from Ellen what her initial um, thoughts were when she got the news that everything was going to change, and that um, she, uh, we'll, we'll start there. So here you go. <laughs> That's funny. I hadn't thought about that in a long time, but um, yeah, changing diet was number one. And I want to say before I forget, our traditional Western vet was 100% for this. She. Yes, she threw up her hands and said, we just don't know what else to do. But when I said, there is this other vet in town who practices both traditional and 
Asian methodology. She said, go for it, anything that will help. <clears throat> so we were really glad to hear that. Um, food was number one. While I had moved everybody from dry food to wet, and I always tried to buy really good food, um, Tashi needed totally grain-free, first and foremost. And since that time, I've been learning a lot about going GMO-free as well. And that's really difficult to do sometimes because uh, there are political problems out there. Uh, I don't know what's happening in Arizona where we are right now. I know in California the vote actually voted down labeling GMO-free, but um, certainly it would be helpful if everything was labeled GMO-free. Back to Tashi's diet. First and foremost was, can I change all three dogs because it's really a pain in the butt to just be one, one thing and the other and everybody needs to be able to share um, thankfully, the answer to that was yes, and they have all benefited from that. Um, they go through stages, and herb, herbal additions to the diet were very, very important for Tashi. I need to tell you that it took maybe six weeks after nine months of knowing she had blood in the urine, the dietary changes and adding the herbs, six weeks no blood, which was just totally amazing to me. However, we also had to have probiotics. We had to, as I said, eliminate all grains. So um, I read labels very, very carefully. <laughs> Made a big difference in the treats that they're all given. She and her sister, Dharma, who was also puppy mill breeding stock, had constant loose stools when they first came home to us, and the um, traditional treatment of that had been long-term use of flagell, which I had never questioned until meeting Dr. O, and the dietary change did away with that as well. They, it just doesn't happen unless somehow they get into something in the yard that they shouldn't have, but they're pretty timid about trying unusual things. Um, let me see, probiotics, various herbs, uh, basically raw food. <laughs> Thank you very much. Um, so Tashi uh, was a, um, not necessarily a poster child for, um, she, she basically had what's considered a damp heat condition where the carbohydrates and the grains in her diet, coupled with lack of care, confinement, and not being able to express herself at all as a dog, right? She was just a piece of flesh that was used for purposes. can cause a lot of stagnation, a lot of uh, heat, and um, it's considered you know, kind of a slummy process where the the in, infection in her ear, you know, that kind of smelly, sticky, itchy, inflammatory stuff coming out of the ear, 
that you just can't get to the bottom of, and then that sticky, smelly, thick, bleeding stuff coming from the urine that you just can't get to the bottom of, regardless of how many antibiotics you use, um, really scream to foundational issues, the air you breathe and the food you eat. So with the food you eat, if you don't have a really healthy garden, a really healthy GI tract filled with all these wonderful bacteria to break down and then digest and process and assimilate the things that you do eat, even the most wonderful nutrition given to our friends and to ourselves, of course, (laughs) we can eat the most wonderful, high-priced, GMO-free, grain-free, awesome food. And if our GI tract isn't as healthy as possible and prepared to welcome those foods to make use of them in the best way possible, it's kind of falling on dead soil, barren soil. So the probiotics were key, trying to get all those healthy bugs into a GI tract that had been neglected um, for her whole life. And she was six when I met her, six years old. So and uh, getting those in, changing their diet, were foundational to, in my opinion, every patient I see. Every patient's different, but those were um, trying to lay some sort of stable um, bedding for any of the other improvements that we would have. And um, luckily for us and for Tashi, um, these things, these fundamental changes in her life and the approach to um, nurturing her worked and they worked quite well and she was very responsive to them um, which actually made everybody smile and (laughs) to be perfectly frank with you she had a habit of coming to the office and leaving a little pee sample in the office every darn time she came in so it was kind of a it kind of became like this running joke (laughs) she's like how's her urine today and like and if we didn't know we would definitely find out within I don't know two to three minutes right (laughs) so she was just so accommodating as a patient to just make sure I could see that things were yellow versus red. So, and that actually has continued on for, gosh, going on a year now. But um, back to our foundational veterinary care. Um, she is um, a wonderful recipient of so much love, so much um tolerance and um, open-mindedness to change because having an open relationship between Ellen and myself and, of course, the dogs and, of course, the husband and, of course, the folks at the the food store and those types of things is is fundamental. When Tashi would sneeze or not eat or do this or do that, we all got together as a crisis management team, which is so important because everything that Tashi and every other patient that sometimes we neglect to pay attention to is they're trying to tell us something and we just need to listen. And even if we don't know what they're saying, being mindful of it is fundamentally important. And I don't care what patient, any non-human next to humans to, of course, of course, of course, we're just harder to interpret, um, is uh, it guides our treatment, it guides our um it guides our nutrition, it guides everything, and that they always, always, bar none, know better than we do. It's just sometimes we don't speak their language because, in my opinion, we're always just moving too darn fast, we're too busy, and truth be known, too uptight. So if we just pay attention to them and listen to them, um, they always know better. So in her case, um, 
I hope that the listening audience has had a chance to either see a Tibetan Spaniel or can look it up because they, um, with Tashi, one of her health indicators has always been her tail, in my opinion. When I see her come in or see her anywhere, the positioning of her tail is critical. And um, the Tibetan Spaniels, I'll, I'll turn this back over to Ellen because um, she, um, you can read volumes, if I'm not mistaken, about how she's feeling physically, mentally, digestively, all of those things by the positioning of her tail. And um, she, these are indicators that I'd like Ellen to share with you that also happen at home because over the course of the last year, Tashi has changed dramatically, if that's fair to say, and many of the things that she does at home, but also things she does at the office, on our office visits, and most recently has become quite a little nitwit about things, hasn't she? So in the most loving, kind way, I say that, of course, because um, to be frank with you, the more my patients get a personality and um, kind of show their show their stripes and, and start to argue just a bit, I know they're coming into their own and they're getting brave, getting a little bit of self-confidence. So those things are um, paramount to um, healing. So I'm going to hand this over to Ellen again to talk to you about some of the changes that she's seen over the course of just the beginning of our relationship, which was GI issues, urinary issues, health issues, um, and then we'll get into some of the self-confidence issues, personality issues, which aren't issues is such a bad word. I guess they're their progress, and it was it was just yeah. beautiful, beautiful things to see. And then Tashi also had a, I guess, a secondary or tertiary, whatever you want to say, problem with her back, with her ability to move around comfortably and such. So we'll get there. But for right now, um, I'd just like to ask Ellen to share some of the joy of this little dog <laughs> um, and how she, um, at least for me, just makes me laugh every time I see her. She cracks me up. So back to you, Ellen. <laughs> Oh, yes, one thing is Tibetan Spaniels are clowns, um, and they do generally make you laugh. And she, while she was very, um, oh, just a blob at first, she would just lie wherever you placed her and wait to see what you next wanted from her. She runs now. She had no... Uh, muscle tone at all, especially in her hindquarters when we first brought her home, and of course living in a wire cage for five years causes that. Um, she could barely waddle on walks, as I had said. She runs now, and if the other dogs are out front and she wants to catch up, she actually almost pulls my husband off his feet trying to catch up. I've got two out front and he's behind with her usually. And he's been known to drop the leash when we've been in an enclosed area. And she will just run and run and run until finally one of us stands in front while the other comes behind. So she's playing a game of not quite hide and seek. We can obviously see her, but it's run away from mom or run away from dad, and the other one snags her again. Um, great muscle tone. Tibbies are very cat-like in many ways, and they groom one another as cats do. They groom themselves. One thing I didn't mention earlier, her tongue was always out of her mouth a long, long ways, and as it turned out, that was part of 
her internal health problems. She everything was swollen and inflamed in the heat, uh, basic to her health problems, um, including her tongue. And I had never realized that a tongue could swell like that. But now while it's somewhat habit to have it sticking out, I catch her snoozing with it all the way in or just a tiny little pink tip showing. Um, she does, she did not groom at all or give puppy kisses like so many dogs do and she now will give kisses. She runs like crazy. She plays with toys. If you see her, if she catches you watching her, she'll stop because I think she's still a little bit afraid that you're going to take it away or punish her for running around with a doll in her mouth or whatever. But you can see her being so happy. And the tail is always up. Yes, it's up and over her back where it belongs. Um, sometimes down if her back is bothering her. Or when we first come in for acupuncture with Dr. O, it might be down. But a couple of treatments, a few minutes with those needles doing their job as soon as she's off the examining table, when we back on the ground, that tail is up. You know she's feeling better. She's just really enjoying it. Um, we've gone to having massage now. We had tried canine chiropractic, and she did respond for a while to that, but massage, canine massage, is more gentle and um, easier on all of us. Mm-hmm. And she just really, really seems to love that. So, yeah, tail up all the time. <laughs> Thank you very, very much. She, um, for for her for our listening audience, she um, Tashi is in a from a veterinary perspective. She had no affect when she I first met her. She was. Uh, uh, poster child, I guess, for learned helplessness. She would sit where you put her. She would not move. She wouldn't hold her head up. She had no, like I said, no affect whatsoever. You couldn't read her. She held her head down. You know, her eyes were half closed. And as Ellen was saying, that big old, the tongue of her is walled out. And now, as Ellen pointed out, her, uh, a large portion of traditional Chinese medicine is tongue and pulse diagnosis. Now, um, with that, literally, you literally look at their tongue. You're looking at things like, what color is it? Is it fire engine red? Is it pale, like a light pink or God help, not white? Get yourself to get yourself to a veterinary hospital emergency. Um, is it purple? Is it lavender? Is it thick? Is it thin? Is it trying to creep out the sides between their teeth? Do they have teeth marks on it? Does it have a coating? Is it white? Is it yellow? Is it thick? Is it thin? All of these things mean something. In tradition, actually, they mean a lot in traditional Chinese medicine, along with the pulse quality, you know, the femoral arteries between their back legs. So with uh, Tashi, when she first came in, you can imagine that with her infections in her ears and that she has blood in her urine and crystals, that you can imagine that the bladder has to get so inflamed so angry, basically, and um, 
so hot that it literally cracks open and starts to bleed. Probably that, that's kind of a simplified way of looking at it, but the foundation of inflammation, anything that ends in an itis, whether it's dermatitis, otitis, conjunctivitis, um, golly, any anything that uh, ends in an itis, meaning inflammation, I-T-I-S, inflammation. There are five pillars of inflammation, redness, heat, swelling, loss of function, pain. And as poor Alan can attest to, when I give my classes, I must say that, what, two, three, four hundred times? Every sick of night. They're like, what are the five pillars of inflammation? So when we have redness, heat, swelling, loss of function, pain, in varying degrees in any kind of itis that you have. Um, with Tashi, the redness was visible in her tongue. She had redness and and swelling in her tongue as a signpost to what was happening in the rest of her. Because when you think about anybody as a full creature, you can't look at her tongue or her bladder or her ears in an isolated situation because nothing happens in a vacuum. We don't treat an ear and treat a bladder and ignore a tongue or ignore pulses. Those, those, it's just a very, very different, a more inclusive way of thinking about it. And Tashi was telling us, you know, she walks into a room with her tongue out of her mouth, big, red, fire engine, red. So um, we went over that in um, great detail <laughs> in our office visits and teaching, informing, empowering clients to keep track of that at home. It doesn't take coming to see a doctor. It takes paying attention. It takes listening to the signs, listening to the symptoms. And in at a different stage in my practice, I used to go get those little paint squares that you uh from if you're gonna choose different paint colors and I would have the purples, the lavenders, the pinks and the reds on a big strip and I would send them home with clients. I said, So where do you think your dog is today? And I want you to take this home and I want you to monitor it as they go up the strip or down the strip. And sometimes that was very helpful to just kind of um, simplify things. And even if clients uh, weren't necessarily super interested or knew what the heck they were doing, you can do that. You can you can check that every day, every week, every. Some people unfortunately do it every hour, and uh, not necessarily not really necessary, but it happens. Um, so at this point, I've kind of backed off to. What do you think? You know, what do you think? Is it is it pink? Is it red? Is it purple? And since these guys are our children, we develop individual ways of monitoring these. Well, it's a little bit more pink today. It's a little bit more red today. Or there's a little purple streak down the middle. So giving people that information, that power, allows them also to feel more comfortable making a phone call. They're like, you know, her tongue's kind of pale today. Um, and um, the... The information that Tashi gives us is um, vital because she has so much stuff going on and she's had these processes going on, I'm guessing, the majority of her life. And um, I often, I think I always call it a speeding train, don't I? <laughs> I? You know, trying to stand in front of a speeding train that's been running as fast as it can for five years is not an easy thing. Uh, but keeping track of these these signs that she gives us. Now, with the pulses, for me, um, well, for everybody that does pulse diagnosis, 
it is um, an individual practice, 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 finely tuned instrument. And we all use different lingo and different, um, uh, yeah, it's just, it's just, it's just a different language. Because for me, telling people, it's like a piano wire versus an overcooked piece of spaghetti or a, you know, and they're just like, Are you, you've got to be nuts, right? But it's absolutely true. So doing things with teaching clients, first of all, where is the artist? Second of all, how hard do I push? Third of all, it's like trying to ask a client to go through a good year and a half of vet school in an office appointment. So sometimes that works, sometimes it doesn't. But um, those are indicators that are not often used in traditional Western medicine, but they can tell you so much about what's going on inside the creature, as well as in Tashi's case in particular, doing the pressure points along the spinal cord and asking her, they're called Ashi points, they're called um, they, where she's sore today, where she's hot today. I know that Ellen um, became finally, finally adept at doing heat, which um, is... Um, um, it's called thermography. Everyone's got a different word for it, but using the palm of your hand to go over your dog very gently and saying, oh, it feels a little warm here. It feels a little cooler here. It feels a little warm here. Now, remember, with inflammation, redness, heat, swelling, loss of function, pain, as you feel heat coming out of certain parts of your dog, not only do they indicate possibly inflammation, but their indicators with our acupressure points of what may be going on inside the dog as well as outside on tense muscles, spinal cord inflammation, um, compensatory things. If my rear end hurts and I'm using my front end to pull myself up, those muscles might be overworking. So this kind of education for clients um, is uh, it's a long road and everybody involved has to be very patient and very willing. I mean, you have to want to know to go through something like that to some people, and it's fine. If you want to just come in, sit down, have the doctor do their thing, and then get, take your patient and go home, and then I'll see you again in seven days. And that's much more of a traditional Western thought process, you know, take two of these and call me in the morning or I'll see you next week type thing with traditional Chinese medicine and absolutely for my practice, that's really not even acceptable, is it? <laughs> so um I'm gonna I'm gonna hand this back over to Alan and if she would be so kind as to share her experience with not only the modalities that she chose to try for Tashi, which was incredible because she went all over with regard to um different providers, different modalities different wait times, different prices, different everything. And um, her dedication to Tashi's recovery and getting that tail to flip up and um, and develop the personality she has now, uh, much to much to our chagrin, um, is, it was a long road. And I think it's very important that everyone hears how that went and how she made those decisions and that what kind of uh, results she feels that she got for Tashi or that Tashi got for her. And knowing that that is not typical for each case, but knowing about these modalities is very, very important. So here she is again. Thank you. Well, let's see. We've tried almost everything. We started, as I said, with the traditional vet. Um, the 
there's a, the Western vet that we had fallen in love with here in our area chose in the middle of Tashi's blood and the urine crisis to leave that, that practice and she went to work for our local humane society running their spay-neuter clinic, which was wonderful. Um, but she had also been the one who did the chiropractic adjustments on all of our animals. So once she was at the new clinic, she would still do those, but um, only on Fridays and only without appointments. And you came in and waited and waited and waited. And that was very stressful for both the humans and the dogs to just sit there for usually at least an hour before it was your turn to have the chiropractic done. And um, when we discovered through Dr. O'Sullivan that there was a local canine masseuse available to us, for only $5 a session more than the chiropractic, and she would come to our house at our convenience, um, it was the obvious thing to try, and it has proven to be so successful. All three dogs get up on the, our bed with her, and she just plays with them at first and plays uh, relaxing music that she brings with her, and... I place one dog at a time in her arms and she spends time just what appears to be petting them, but she is actually giving them wonderful massages, much as you and I would go to the masseuse and find ourselves relaxing after that. The dogs totally love it, and my husband and I love not having to wait in a clinic waiting area full of dogs of all sizes and the tension that comes with that for the dogs primarily. But um, we love that. Now, Tashi has turned into a real dog. And as I mentioned before, there are some specifics about Tibetan Spaniels that are a little bit unusual. They are very cat-like, not only in the grooming that they love to climb. They tend to want to relax up on the top of the back of your couch or looking out windows and that type of thing. Well, Tashi and her sister have never been able to climb. We did build them a ramp. My husband built a ramp so they can get up on the bed while Danny jumps like most Tibetan Spaniels would. For his own sake, we're trying to teach him to use the ramp too so that as he grows older, he hasn't done damage to his body, but um, the girls now run up the ramp instead of slowly climbing up, and Tashi, above all, wants to climb. She comes in in Dr. O'Sullivan's office or all around our house, and anything she can get on her hind legs, get her front legs up taller, she tries and tries and tries to get up on top. And she has actually managed to get up onto our coffee table, which scares the heck out of me because if she falls off, I mean, she does want to just keep going. And it's coming down that's a potential problem at this point. She's trying 
to reject acupuncture at this point. She gives Dr. O'Sullivan a really hard time and just keeps turning in circles on the examining table while we're, the needles are trying to be placed and so on. But then she'll get down and run in circles in here and climb up on anything she can climb up on as well. So um, it's really pretty wonderful watching her be a happy, happy dog. You would think she was a new puppy these days instead of the seven-year-old lady that she is. But she's wonderful. <laughs> Thank you for that. Um, that <laughs> it, I really wish I could share with everyone that's listening how Tashi has turned into her own... Um, I just call her a beast. She's hysterical. She, you know, at least where we had this, this 20 pounds of fur with lack of affect and so much, so much um, suffering is a strong word, but I believe it's accurate. And she, she, um, she liter- literally now comes in um, with her tail up over and my office is, um, it's, I consider it, um, a, it's, I call it a house of possibilities thinking and a free expression of joy for my patients. So they get cut loose, no leashes, no nothing. I, I ask my clients, don't talk to your dogs. They're not listening anyway. So just you know, stop with the, trying to tell them sit or come or those types of things. Like, just it's too limiting, right? So for her now, she's Tashi. That is. Um, I don't even think Ellen speaks to her much anymore. So she's learning as well. That um. um she comes in here, she's got her tail up, and every time, although she's always done this, I go to pet her and like that, she waits till I get my hand right on top of her and just goes, and scoots right away from me. And, you know, we watch everything she does. Is she limping? Is she got a, she got a bump in her back? Is her tail up? How's her head carriage? How's her tongue placement when she's relaxed? All of those things, although it's fun and games, it's also diagnostic. So we're always working to see what it is she's trying to tell us. And most recently when she does get on the table for acupuncture, she has turned into somewhat of a 20-pound fucking bronco with hair all over the place. So, you know, I, to be perfectly frank, she wins. If she's at a point right now where she says, I don't need needles this week, I'm okay with that. And um, after after Ellen and I finished laughing uncontrollably, uh, we just put her down. She trots away and probably, like, pees in the corner or something like that. But she's just, she's just a happy, joyful, spirited individual. And um, I do have a couple more things I'd like to go over as we backtrack with Tashi's experience here. But she is a true representative of overcoming um, all of the forces that try to hold you down. And whether that be sticking you in a cage. And I know that our listeners, maybe I'm, maybe it's just me, but um, you, you can relate to what life in a cage is like. Okay, it may not be torture, it may not be horrible food, but not not ex- expressing what it is you were possibly meant to do, following your joy. Humans have a tendency to um, not do that, to find things that keep us more busy, more encapsulated, more restrained, more um, um, stagnant and depressed. And I'm a psychologist, it's just that I'm a human and I get it. And watching this dog with love and awesome care. And that's, that's, not, that's not me patting myself on my back. That just means that whatever it is that this dog needed, mostly spiritual, mostly emotional, mostly you know, four-legged and two-legged friends to come out of her past, um, 
is a joy and a privilege to be part of. I mean, bar none. So um, as we started this conversation today about puppy mills and about adoption of um, uh, I call them the untouchables. You know, they're, they're animals that other people have forgotten about and that they're either too sick or their history is too damaged for people to think about because they want the perfect this and the perfect that because that's part of our human stigma. Um, please, please let that go. You know, say, save a life and save yourself. And that's not a tagline for something. It just, it's true. It, I believe it's true. So, um, I've got a couple more minutes to talk about something. I don't mean to get too emotional on all of our listeners, but a part is so important to what we're doing today uh, is that if we would just slow down and listen to these guys and the life lessons they have to teach us and the recovery lessons that they have to teach us and the trust lessons that they have to teach us, um, we might just turn out to be better people. So that that's my counseling portion of the show, and I'll just stop. But... Um, one of the issues that we had with Tashi, this is pure Western veterinary medicine with a um, traditional Chinese medicine frosting on top, is that Tashi, as Ellen had pointed out, had uh, blood in her urine along with crystals. Now, um, um, let me, um, but the kinds of crystals that we have... Um, usually are in two types. You have calcium oxalate and struvite. Now, these two kinds of crystals demand a completely different nutrition. So when we went to go speak to Ellen and to her husband and to the pet food suppliers, there were certain things we had to have to do to make sure that Tashi never went down the same road to her struvite crystals again. Now, that being said, I have a question coming in. If you are unable to adopt a puppy mill rescue due to living arrangements, what else can you do to help? I'm going to hand this one off to Ellen. Okay, this is the caller calling in. Um, there's always, um, please go online if you have a certain breed that you really like. I can guarantee you that breed has a rescue organization. Donations, of course. Um, and I'm going to hand this off to Ellen for a moment, but my biggest, biggest um, plea to you who are interested, is spread the word. Let people know that these puppy mills exist. Let people know that what where pet stores are getting their dogs and contact these puppy mills. I mean, sorry, contact these rescuer agencies. Contact these um, folks that are giving their life and their time and all their effort. Ask them specifically in that we want to think globally but absolutely act locally as well. So here's Ellen since she's um, living with it and then we'll get back to the diet in just a moment. So thank you for the question, and here's Ellen. Well, I really think Dr. O'Sullivan just covered most of the options. It's the rescue groups. And as she said, if there's a specific rescue or breed that you like, I guarantee you there's a rescue group for it because there are people out there who, especially recently with the bad economy, have had to give up their dogs. Um, If you bought anyone who's bought a purebred dog in the purchase contract, there's almost 100% at the time a clause saying, if you can't keep this dog, you must contact the breeder and return the dog to that breeder, if at all possible. I've never heard of a breeder refusing to accept her dog back. But the puppy mill dogs, I know my two came originally 
from Europe. I'm not sure where. There are no legitimate breeders in the United States of Tibetan Spaniels, at least, who would ever sell a puppy of theirs to a puppy mill knowingly. Um, I have no idea how the rescue groups or the one that I got these two from were able to know or establish a relationship with the puppy mill in their area where they got them. But I know that there are newsletters out there because somehow or other, puppy mill owners let the general public know, I'm going to auction off all my dogs or my old stock at such and such a place at such and such a time. I've also heard horror stories that if a dog doesn't get purchased at that auction, they get taken out back and killed. But um, anything you can do through the rescue group, contact them. Go go to your local Humane Society and volunteer. They Volunteers go and walk the dogs. They always need volunteers to come in and, and play with the dogs and help them learn to socialize. Um, donations, of course, always. Best Friend Animal Sanctuary. Best Friend Animal Sanctuary. Thank you, Dr. O'Sullivan. I had forgotten about that one specifically. Yeah, they're, they're wonderful groups. Danny, our half-Tibetan Spaniel, half-Chihuahua, was actually taken out of a shelter down in the Phoenix area, by the Akita Rescue Group just because they have volunteers that go through the shelters and bring out any uh, dogs that fall into their breed. And the woman couldn't pass up this cute, small little puppy who was on the, okay, if he's not adopted, he's going to be euthanized tomorrow list. Um, Anything, anything at all. Thank you. Thank you very much, Ellen. And thank you for the question. I really appreciate that. Um, every, All of our recommendations, um, whatever you can do within your living arrangement, within your financial arrangement, within your time arrangement, would be greatly, greatly appreciated. And like I said, spread, spreading the word and letting people know is um, very powerful, very powerful. Um, we're running short on time here, but I do want to um, talk the situation with Tashi and something that will be important for our listeners down the road, knowing that regardless of what we want to do with our food or our um, supplements or our uh, um, lifestyle um, and the things that we can buy online or we can look up or the pet store people recommend, um, we want to make sure that we take into consideration every underlying issue that your patient has. So if somebody tries to recommend something to you, whether it's food or a supplement, please take seriously the recommendations of the people that have actually put their hand on your dog, that have our cat or horse, that know your history, know the biochemical nutritional needs of some of the issues that you have. Like I said, she had stones, our sprubites versus our calcium oxalate require certain pHs, certain amount of protein, certain amount of phosphorus, certain amount of magnesium certain amount of acid urine content. You know, it, it's a big deal, it, it, and it makes a big difference. First do no harm is by far um, the premise of what it is that I do. Education and first do no harm. And I'm hoping that that would uh, 
be true for all of our clients, and I, I mean, our, our, well, of course, our clients and our listeners. And I know, I know that that's true. So, um, in our final minute here, please, please seek a lesson from our four-legged friends. They have, they have a lot to teach us, and be very mindful of their individual needs, and they will give it back to you a thousandfold, guaranteed. And I, I need to thank Ellen for coming in and spending her time and her story about Sweet Tashi, and. Um, I encourage anybody to call in with any questions, whether they're specific or general, about anything that we speak about with uh, holistic veterinary care here on our uh, uh, blog talk radio. And I will be back next week, same time, so please feel free to call in. It will be 347-215-6138, and we'll have another interesting topic that we can all relate to. And I'm sure we'll be going home and giving Tashi some treats that are nutritious and delicious. Thank her for helping us with all of this today. Um, There's so much more we could talk about with Tashi, but it's time that we need to go. So thank you very much, Ellen. Thank you very much, Dr. O'Sullivan. Till next time. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.